Everybody happy this morning? Good to see you all. My name is Andrew. If you're new, I hope you feel welcome. If the people around you don't feel welcome, come and speak to me afterwards because we, we are a church of discipleship too. And we want to disciple people in the right direction. And Jesus said, you need to love like I love. And so if you're sitting next to somebody today and you're here for the first time and they don't invite you to lunch, let, let me know. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm going to do things a little differently this morning. It's um, not going to be so much diving into Scripture, but I will be talking about Scripture. Um, and uh, it's, it's a, I'm starting with this talk because I, I feel I've really felt uh, that God is wanting to lead me in a certain direction with some of the messages over the next couple of weeks. So I want to speak this morning about this man, Jesus, um, and whether he was just a man, or whether he was myth or legend, or whether he's actually something more. And so I want to ask this question as we start. In fact, two questions. Let's just look at these two questions for a moment. Why do you believe in Jesus? Why do you believe in Jesus? And, and if you are here this morning and you do, because maybe not everybody does, but if you're here today and you do believe in Jesus, what is it that would motivate you to tell others about him? What would, what would motivate you to say, you know what, I, I, this is so amazing. I've got to tell other people about this man. I've got to tell them about Jesus. Now, I don't want you to answer that. I want you to sit with those two questions this morning. What do I believe about here when it comes to Jesus? Why do I believe in him? What is it that would motivate me to, to actually not be shy or, or hold back when it comes to telling others or talking to others about him? So let's just sit with that this morning. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk a little bit about it. Before, before we start, though, let's just let's pray. God, I thank you for every single individual who is here with us this morning. Thank you that by the power of your spirit, you will move in every heart and every mind. I pray, God, that people will be open and receptive to you this morning. And Lord, I know that people have come from great distances, Joe and Joey, who've come way down, from way down south, people who've traveled 20, 25, 35 minutes from the north, the east, the west to get here this morning. Uh, and, and I just thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for their commitment. Thank you for the people who are here today. And so, God, I just pray that during this time you would use me to be an instrument um, of uh, your word. And, Lord, that I might just have a humility in, in the teaching this morning. And that you would really move in our hearts. Remind us, refresh us, Lord, of why we made that choice to believe. And why it would be so important for us to actually be the kind of people who are witness to why we believe in Jesus. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, <clears throat> if you were here last week, um, I handed out a little brochure. Um, and I spoke about us making some changes. And you can, if you weren't here, you can grab this brochure from the information desk um, uh, after the service. But if you were here, you will have heard me talk a little bit about some of the changes we made around. Um, we've had nine values from, since starting, but um, we've made a decision to kind of move away from that and get a little bit more practical in, uh, in how we go about uh, living out this faith. And so I said that there are three things that we're going to be doing and talking about fairly regularly, and that is about how we love God well and how we love ourselves well 
And when it comes to loving ourselves, again, it's not about a prideful, egotistical thing. This is about um, a, a love, a healthy love for ourselves, understanding who we are in God, who God has made us to be, our uniqueness, the fact that we are image bearers of God, and then loving others well. So this, that reaching out to others. So we, we really want to build that into the foundation of Renew. And then I spoke about a rule of life um, last week. Um, and a rule of life really is a set of, it, it's, it's how you go about creating a, a habitual devotional time in your life. It's, so, it, it's, it's really difficult to walk with God or try and walk with God and you never speak to Him. You never read Scripture. You never engage with God. So uh, having a rule of life is about some kind of structure or direction in which we can grow as followers of Jesus. So I spoke about four daily habits. First one being prayer, around the morning, midday, and in the evening. The second one was uh, about reading scripture, a passage of scripture every day. The third was to, if you're in a family or if you're married, if, if you're single, this does not necessarily apply to you because we, we love God out of our singleness as well. But too often, families don't really, they, they live, they kind of ships that pass by in the night. And so this, this thing around meals here yeah, is to actually sit down as a family and share a meal together where you're investing and finding out what's going on in one another's lives. Um, and also a, a little bit about technology. Sometimes our phones are such a distraction. And having the, 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 the discipline to say, I need to put this aside because I need, I need to spend some time in the Word, or not to sit at the dinner table scrolling through Facebook or whatever it is, right? To put technology away so that you actually engage. Because if way too many people, it's like, this is the first thing. It's amazing, even in conversation sometime. You know, don't you think it's rude? When I'm talking to somebody, I'm fully engaged with them, and then their phone rings, and they stop the conversation to answer somebody else who's intruding in the conversation. Kill the phone. We first. That person second. Why? Because the thing, the device has got power, you see? So um, anyway, I don't know where that came from. And then there were four other things that I felt as a church we should be doing on a weekly basis. And I think it's really important that we take time out to have a Sabbath, a Sabbath time, a 24-hour period if, where we can, where we're actually just stopping and contemplating and resting and delighting in God. And... Um, Helping uh, a stranger, have a kind interaction with a stranger, and to spend some time serving other people. Can anybody remember what the fourth one was? You know how to answer because you're in my home. Anybody want? Anybody? That's okay. You can read it first because everybody's too. They're going to like. Is this a trick question? Is Andrew going to pick on me again? Invite someone to church. I think that's got to be something important for us if we're going to have a, a view for the kingdom of God. If, 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 if this thing about, you know, why do I believe in Jesus? What would motivate me to tell others about Jesus? Um, one, of those, one of the ways we can go about reaching other people is just inviting them to church, just simply inviting them to church. And, and that starts with saying, hey, Lord, it's, you know, it's, it's the beginning of the week. Is there anyone who you would have crossed my path during this week that I could extend an invitation to? It's as simple as that. But I want to talk about that this morning a little bit because um, everybody was hesitant to answer. Plus they had to get the pamphlet out and read it to me. So I want to talk about why we should have a heart for people who are far from God. Uh, why, why, um, why believe in Jesus? What do we believe about Jesus that is so important that it would motivate us to tell others about him? Is he, is he, 
Is he just another man? Is he, is he myth? Is he, is he legend or is he something more? And so um, what set me off, and it's, this is setting me off for the course for the next couple of weeks. I was in my small group a couple of weeks ago, and some people reminded me of a talk that I gave years. I'd forgotten that I'd done this talk, and people in the group were saying they could remember the talk. I thought, wow, something stuck. Um, and they said, you should do that talk again. And I thought, well, maybe. And then I looked at it, and, and, I, and like I say, over the next couple of weeks, there's a few things that I feel God's laid on my heart that, I'm gonna, that I want to talk about. And I, so I thought I'm going to kick this off uh, with this talk. I've refreshed it so it's not old and stale. And, and so some of you may have heard the talk before, but I just pray that God would do some reminding here if you've heard it before. I want to take a little objective look at Jesus today because there are quite a few spiritual leaders that have had an impact on our world historically. And I'm talking historical like since, since like thousands of years ago. There have been spiritual leaders who've, been, who've, who've, who've arisen and have had a big impact on people's beliefs. You know, the five oldest religions or uh, faiths, they're described as the main world religions, are Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. Those, the, those five faiths are considered generally to be the most widely recognized and influential religions in the world today. But who could we say, if we think about those faiths, who could we say could generally be considered to be the most widely recognized and influential spiritual leaders historically? Who have been the most you know, who rises to the top? And, and, and is there anyone who stands out? Is there anyone who sets themselves apart from all of the other spiritual leaders historically? Now, I imagine in this room, most of us would be pretty biased and, and say, well, obviously, it's Jesus, of course. You know, there's no question, no debate. It's Christ. He's the one. He stands out. Well, I want you to pause just for a little bit this morning. Because if we believe that Jesus is in a class by himself, if we truly believe that in our hearts this morning, that Jesus stands out amongst all others, that in fact he really is something more than just a man or a myth or a legend, that he is in fact something more, then surely, if that's the case, we would have a desire to be telling people about Jesus. Every day, not a day would go by, we would say, Lord, is there someone that I need to speak to about you that's why i want you to pause because i think maybe we need to refresh our heads our minds because we need we need am i really convinced about this am i quite certain that there's something different about jesus is there something that stands out if i'm really ever going to invite anybody to my church renew so what i'm going to do is i'm going to identify the spiritual leaders who've kind of risen to the top of the heap throughout history. I think they deserve to be mentioned here because um, uh, there's a couple of factors I'm going to go through, which I think you'd, you'd agree with me. Yeah, this person stacks up. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to just, I'm just going to very practically this morning stack these guys up against each other just to see if somebody really stands out, if there's somebody who's without peer, if there's somebody who's in a class all by himself, okay? So by objective standards, Jude, thank you. By objective standards, um, I, I, I've picked out who I think are the top four greatest spiritual leaders historically. And those would be Confucius, Buddha, Muhammad, and, and Jesus Christ. 
Now, you might be wondering about Hinduism. I mentioned that is, that is a big faith in the world. But the thing about Hinduism is that there's no central leadership individual associated with Hinduism. In fact, there's not even a single god represented in Hinduism. There's an assortment of gods. And over time, various Hindu leaders and gurus and teachers have, have come. And uh, over the centuries, they've, they've taught about all of those assorted gods. So it's impossible to line up a single a representative for Hinduism. And so for the sake of this morning, I'm just going to put Hinduism to the side. But the other, the others, the other four here, um, are, I think these four are pretty easy to select. I think they almost self-select. Confucius is first. You know, Confucius was a Chinese philosopher who was born 550 years before Christ. He was born in 551 BC. And at one time, his teachings influenced up to 300 million people. Now that's waned uh, that down to like 6.1 followers of Confucianism today, worldwide. That's about 1% of the world's population are, are, are con, uh, follow Confucius, his teachings. Um, and in fact, as I was online this week, a lot of articles were saying there's a resurgence with Confucianism. And so you've got to go, well, well this guy's probably got to be taken seriously. The next would be Buddha. And Buddha, um, his, his name originally was Siddhartha Gautama. And he was the, the leader uh, of, of this faith. He eventually got, they started calling him the Enlightened One or the Buddha. He was born around the time of Confucius, 563 BC. And he also has influenced millions of people uh, on the planet spiritually. Uh, most people who are Buddhists, you'd find them in places like northern India, China, Indonesia, Japan, Korea. But Buddha, they're Buddhists right around the world. And the best estimates say that there are 400 million people today who would call themselves Buddhists. So Buddha has had tremendous influence just today. 400 million people, that's, that's, we've got to bring him in. What about Muhammad? Muhammad uh, is another big spiritual leader, born in 500 years after Christ, 570 AD, and he's the person through whom Islam took shape. Currently, there are 1.9 billion people who are Muslims. 1.9 billion people. The world's population today is about 7.9 billion people. That means 24% of people living on the earth today are Muslims. So Muhammad's got to be in there. He's one of them. And then, of course, there's Jesus. When was Jesus born? That's right, at about zero. <laughs> Our calendar is actually marked by when Jesus was born, right? So, uh, yeah, zero. And, and, and his influence today is felt worldwide. There are approximately 2.4 billion people on the planet who consider themselves to be Christians. It's 30% of the Earth's population today would say, that, would say, I identify as a Christian. And, and, and they say that, uh, I don't know how they figure this out, but they say that up until now, there have been 117 billion people that have lived on planet Earth. 117 billion people. And so if you think about that and you ask the question, who are the top spiritual leaders historically, I, I think it's going to come down to these four over here, Confucius, Buddha, Muhammad, and Jesus Christ. 
Now, what I want to do this morning, as I said, it's going to be a little practical, so let's have a little bit of fun, just relax, chill out, come back next week, I'll get super spiritual. Okay, but this morning, we're just going to, we're going to chill a little bit. Um, so I want, to, I want to ask a couple of questions, and I'm going to have some answers, and what we're going to do is we're just going to stack these guys up, because remember, I want to, you to think about why you believe. I want you to think about what would motivate you to invite somebody, to tell somebody about, about Jesus. And so I just want you to be dead, 100% sure about, about this guy. Right? Is he myth? Is he legend? Or is he the real deal? Is he something else? Okay, so, um, yeah, uh, where was I? Why would I tell somebody? Yeah, Vlasta, thank you. You are listening, taking notes. That's good. Now, I know that there are some people, and you talk to people who, there's so many people today, and it's, it's so sad, who have completely lost any idea about these spiritual leaders. People are just so often not spiritual anymore, and there are a lot of people who are seeking, and there's a lot of ideas out there. And so sometimes people will go, oh, yeah, that's not even true. That's a fairy tale. I heard somebody on Q&A, on the ABC channel show Q&A one evening go, Jesus is a, is a, is a fairy tale. Um, so there are people who sincerely believe that, that some of this, these guys, are it's the stuff of myth and legend. But really, you can go to any public library, and you can pull out books which will tell you about their stories, their lifetimes, their histories, right? These are historical figures who actually lived and walked on this planet Earth. So let's start with their teachings first. Okay, let's look at their teachings this morning. Who among these four distinguishes themselves with their teaching? I'm going to start with Confucius. Confucius was called the sagest of the sage. He was called the wisest of the wise. And has anybody ever here heard of Confucius? Has anybody ever said to you, Confucius says? Yeah, a few people have said. Okay, so, some, so, so, okay, and that's what happens. People would often take his wisdom. They'd say, Confucius says, and then they'd have a little pearl of wisdom that comes from Confucius. In fact, Confucius didn't come up with all of that wisdom. He collated a lot of that wisdom, and it was put together in a volume called The Analects. Uh, in fact, I read online this week, I don't know how true this is, but it says that a lot of Chinese school children actually still memorize a lot of Confucius' teachings today. Now, Confucius never really considered himself to be an originator of wisdom. He had some wisdom. He'd take the wisdom of others and he'd kind of edit it. So he, he edited wisdom literature and he was a transmitter of helpful information. His, in his teachings, he did not attempt to connect human beings to God. His writings were limited to a kind of wisdom that would help people in society get along better. And although the circulation of the wisdom of Confucius has decreased in terms of his followers from 300 million to 6 million today, his, his writings today are still widely appreciated. Some of you have just said to me, you've heard people say to you, Confucius says, or Confucius Confucius said. So he had some impact as a teacher. So I'm just going to give Confucius a quarter block over here, okay, as we stack these guys up. I'm going to give him, I don't think the guy deserves a full block. That's just me. I'm giving him a quarter block. You could argue with me. Maybe you, for you, he should have a full block. That's okay. All right. But let's just see how the comparatively they stack up. Let's go to Buddha. Buddha, um, a lot of his teachings were originally taken from Hinduism. He was not a, an original thinker. A, Thinker, thinker, thinker. He, he, um, a lot of uh, the material um, that uh, he came up with uh, actually came out of Hinduism. And so a lot of the beliefs like um, reincarnation and karma and meditation as a means of maturing the soul, that, that all came, out, came from Hinduism. But Buddha's most famous teaching probably would be the Four Noble Truths. And this is at the heart of Buddhism. 
Truth number one is that life is suffering. Truth number two is that all suffering comes from desire. Truth number three, suffering is overcome by eliminating desire. And truth number four, eliminating desire is achieved by following an eightfold path. I'm not going to go into the details of that this morning. But if you want to know what's at the heart of, the, of Buddhism, it is the elimination of human desire. And if you follow that eightfold path and you work at it really hard to the point where all human desire is eliminated, then you get to the state of mind which is referred to as nirvana. You've arrived. You have no more desire. You're not going to experience pain or loss or disappointment because you have no more desire. Now, the writings of Buddha and the circulation of those teachings actually exceed those of Confucius. So he's had more influence. He's touched more lives over throughout history. So we've got to give him a bigger block, Jude. Buddha's got a bigger block than Confucius. Okay. His teachings probably had a little bit more substance. Let's go to the teachings of Muhammad. Anybody ever heard of this guy? Okay. So Muhammad, the teachings of Muhammad could be summarized in, in five statements. The first is this, that Allah is the one true God. The second is that Allah has many prophets, including Moses and Jesus. But Muhammad was the last and greatest of all the prophets. The third statement is that the Quran is the supremely religious book in all of the world. And fourthly, they say that there are intermediate beings between God and us. Some of them are good and some of them are evil. And then number five, and listen to this one quite carefully. This is at the heart of Islam. Every person's deeds will be weighed someday to determine who did enough good deeds to warrant going to paradise. And those who didn't do enough, they're going to be separated from Allah in a place of torment forever. It was really interesting to me as I, as I was just going through this again, when it comes to these belief systems, especially Buddhism and and Islam, is that there's a meritorious approach to the whole thing. It's all about how good you are. It's all about what you've got to do to get there. There's absolutely no grace. No grace involved in, in these two faiths. It's good deeds. It's doing enough. It's achieving enough. Trying hard enough. It's a meritorious system in each of these. Now, now the truth for, source for Islam is this book called the Quran. And it has a huge circulation. It's widely translated. And Islam as many of us know, is one of the fastest growing faith beliefs or systems, religions in the whole world. So I think we've got to give a sizable block due to, to the teachings of Muhammad. Okay, he has had substantial influence and that influence is actually increasing. Okay, let's go to Jesus. Now, it's difficult for me. I've got to try and be objective here this morning. But the truth is, when it comes to Jesus, he's been recognized both inside and outside of the Christian faith as the greatest teacher who's ever lived. Even um, atheists and agnostics, there's, there's no disagreement about the brilliance of the teachings of Jesus. The Sermon on the Mount stands out for many, many people. Over the centuries, it, it is a sermon that has stood out. In fact, that sermon has been the basis for many uh, uh, kind of judicial systems of countries around the globe and, and uh, democracies around the globe because there's just no disagreement around the brilliance of that. And, and, and so the teachings that have come from the lips of Jesus are, 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 are the foundation for the systems of many countries in the world today. When you think about the Bible, the circulation of the Bible is unparalleled. 60 to 70 million Bibles are printed, published every single year. It's by far the most widely distributed, distributed book 
in all of history, the most widely translated book in all of history. It's estimated that 90% of the population of the world has access to at least a portion of the Bible in their own language. So for me, without question, the teaching and the impact of the teachings of Jesus clearly exceed everyone else. And so I think this morning we have to give Jesus the biggest block. Anybody want to agree with me? You can check my research on this. Go online, do your own homework, okay? But I reckon the teachings of Jesus stand out from these these other spiritual leaders. Let's move on. Let's stir things up a little bit this morning. Let's talk about the moral life of these guys. I mean, because they're big spiritual leaders, you'd have to say this morning that they would have led morally exemplary lives. Yeah? Yeah. Let's start with Confucius, okay? Now, Confucius, he strongly encouraged virtuous living, but he never ever claimed moral, personal moral perfection. That description was never attributed to him, that he's morally perfect. By anyone who followed him, it, it, just, it just didn't happen. There's no record of Confucius being a bad guy. There's no record of him being a particularly good guy. You know, he, he's kind of in the middle. And I think if there was anything outstanding about his moral life, that would have been re- recorded. It's just one way or the other, there's, there's nothing there. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give it, when it comes to morality, personal morality, I'm just going to give him a, a half a block. Let's look at Buddha. Buddha was also a strong proponent of moral living. Um, the virtues of kindness, truthfulness, and humility were a big part of his teaching. And some of his followers called him the perfect one. But that wasn't in reference to his moral perfection. It was more in reference to how rigorously he attempted to live out the eightfold path and eliminate desire in his life. So I'm going to give him half a block because he talked about virtuous living. Okay. The next guy is Muhammad. And unfortunately, the story just gets a little bleaker here. Muhammad was actually quite a bloodthirsty guy. He, there are many accounts of him and his soldiers and many of his followers. They got into a lot of skirmishes and um, people died. Um, but something that stands out for me, which is in direct violation of the teachings of the Quran, the holy book, is that he exceeded the number of wives that he was allowed to take. The Quran uh, at that time, had limited the number of wives that you could have, Andrew, to four. Aren't you glad you've become a Christian? <laughs> Denise, aren't you, aren't you happy? Can you imagine having to deal with another three? So, the Quran said you could only have four. And conveniently, some would say that he had a revelation one night. And the result of the revelation was that he, only him, was given special permission to to take more wives and to exceed the limit. Nobody else had that dispensation. It It was only him. And so he took full advantage of that revelation. The other interesting thing about Muhammad was that he never ever acknowledged perfection. He he actually acknowledged his own sinfulness. And he would pray to Allah for forgiveness. And his followers would actually actually wrote about the fact that Muhammad also had pretty much a, he had a bad side, and so um, that dark side, you know, I don't know. I think Jude, let's just give him a thin block there. On when it comes to morality, what about Jesus? Woohoo! Well, we got an interesting situation here. Because Jesus claimed, and not in a prideful way, but Jesus claimed to lead a morally perfect life. 
Now, I tell you what, the minute somebody comes to me and says, I'm morally perfect, I'm like, yeah, exactly, Bronwyn, like, yeah. Yeah? I mean, if, if that's, you want to check that out, if that's going to be true, right? And probably the first people you're going to go speak to are, you know, the friends and the family. You're going to go and ask them, you know, was this, is this guy for real? Is, is, you know, he says he's morally perfect. And the thing is, when you go and do the research and you look at what the disciples wrote about him, his friends, family members, what they said about him, all of them gave witness to the fact that he led a morally perfect life. Now, you might go, well, they were biased. Sure. So then what you've got to do is you've got to go to his enemies because his enemies would have no reason to, to say something that, that, that you know, wasn't true, to uphold a, a lie. They would never claim that he had moral perfection if indeed he didn't. And so you've got to go check out those who were critical of Jesus. They'd have no reason to protect him. They would just say, call it like it, it was. And in fact, in John 8.46, Jesus was standing in front of some of his worst criticizers one day. And then he actually said to them, if any of you find fault, if you find fault, tell me. Please tell me. And, and John, the conversation pretty much ended there. You can imagine those dudes. You'd be looking down at their sandals. Conversation just ended. No one had a, um, a single fault that they had ever witnessed in the life of Jesus. There was, there's no evidence for any moral lapse at any time in his life. And if that had actually happened, I assure you that would have appeared in the, moral, in the historical record at some point. In fact, when Jesus, if you remember, when he stood in front of Pontius Pilate and he was questioned for an extended period of time, deep questioning, what did Pilate say? He said, I can find no fault. I can find no fault in this man. Not only was he without fault, but on the positive side, he was the most virtuous man who ever lived. He set the standard when it came to love. The reason why so many of you love each other in the way that you do, when Joe and Bert and Louise, you know, that's because of Jesus. And if you look at his life, there's, there's no one in, who's ever lived at any point in time in history who's loved the way that Jesus loved. He demonstrated another kind of love, a supernatural kind of love where people would stand back and go, I've never seen anything like this. He demonstrated remarkable compassion and kindness and humility, perfect anger management, grace-giving forgiveness. You've got to remember the time that he was unfairly accused and arrested and sentenced to death. And can you remember him lying on that cross with his arms outstretched lying deep on the ground and those soldiers those Roman soldiers coming with big iron spikes sledging those things through the palms of his hands and then raising him up on, at Golgotha to die on that cross what did Jesus say did he in agony shout I'm going to get you Exactly. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And when people witnessed that kind of grace giving, that kind of forgiveness, it astonished them. It just, it just surprised them. Nobody had ever encountered anyone like Jesus before. And so Jesus is the only human being of the billions of people who've ever lived who has led a morally perfect life. And I, I don't know about you, but for me, that is huge. That for me is like, that's a major delineator when it comes to these other spiritual leaders and Jesus. And so, Jude, I just got to give Jesus another big block. I just got him. How's our stack looking? I know, again, people sometimes, they, you know, they, when they look at these people, 
look at these spiritual leaders, there are many people in the world today who say, oh yeah, they're pretty much all the same, you know, they're all kind of the same, they're all good guys, they taught well, you know, but, but when it comes to morality, Jesus is a, is a standout, it puts him in a very different class. Let's, let's look at another interesting comparison, I'm quite excited about this one, miracles. I don't know if any of you have ever studied these four individuals, but how many of them do you think possessed enough supernatural power to define nature and to do miracles? One. Well, what about Confucius? No? Well, well, you're right. He never claimed to have miracle-working power, and there were no miracles ever attributed to him. Buddha? No? No miracles. You're pretty sure about that, Charlene. Yeah? Well, you're right. He didn't, he didn't claim to have miracle-working power. He never demonstrated it, not even once. What about Muhammad? In fact, the Quran says that he performed no miracles. He also didn't claim to have that power, and it, he never exercised anything like that. It never was an issue. Miracles. What about Jesus? Countless. Countless. Supernatural power that was demonstrated through him in his three-year ministry. Healing people who were, who were diseased and who had afflictions and you know, calming storms and feeding thousands of people from a couple of loaves of bread and some fish, you know, bringing dead people back to life. His miracles were seen by thousands and thousands of people, eyewitnesses to the miracles of Jesus. It wasn't hocus-pocus, smoke and mirror stuff like, you know, Jesus did a miracle behind the mountain and now it's an exaggeration and somebody's told it. It wasn't like that. These people were eyewitnesses to these miracles. And the, the writers of the Gospels recorded this. And secular historians, even Josephus, who was a, 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 a Jewish historian from that period, recorded the miracles of Jesus. And, and they just... So historians attribute the miracle-working power of Jesus as historical fact. And a, lot of, a big reason why people actually chose to follow Jesus was because of his miracle-working power. Sometimes he would be teaching and um, the village would bring out sick people, the diseased people, the afflicted people, and he'd heal every single one. And now I don't know about you this morning, but again, this is a big delineating factor when it comes to Jesus and these other spiritual leaders. For me, this is huge. The ability to perform miracles. Jesus had a supernatural power that others did not. And that puts him in another class. Jude, we've got to give him another block. And you know the thing about Jesus, when it came to the working of miracles, he, he operated in a, out of humility. He wasn't careless about the power that had been entrusted to him. He never did it for selfish gain or personal gain. He performed miracles for average, everyday people who were suffering, who were hungry, who were bleeding, who were dying from one disease or another. He performed miracles to relieve the pain and suffering of everyday average people like you and me, which is why we sang about that this morning. And he never, it wasn't a hype thing. That, that wasn't his way. He just met the need. Do you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, I mentioned this last week, and Peter, Peter gets so annoyed and so out of sync with what's going on, he just pulls out his sword, cuts off the, the ear of the soldier, what did Jesus do? The guy who was coming to arrest him, to take him to be, to, to be crucified. That was the way Jesus used his power. A humble direction of supernatural power to relieve suffering, to relieve oppression. And I don't know, I don't know if you're going to see this this morning, but I want you to. 
This little screen here with this little slide should begin to tell you something about Jesus. This is no ordinary man. Let's look at his prophetic power, or their prophetic power. Well, his prophetic power. Well, theirs. His. Theirs? His. (laughs) Confucius and Buddha, they had no prophetic power. And when I talk about prophetic power, I'm talking about the ability to see into people's lives or into events or even into the future. And you'll find that, that, that both Confucius and Buddha had no prophetic power. When it comes to Muhammad, there was a hint that he made some general kind of uh, declarations about what his soldiers were going to do in battle and stuff, but there was nothing noteworthy when it comes to having prophetic power. What about Jesus? Again, Jesus is in a class of his own. He has un unprecedented prophetic power he could read the hearts and thoughts of people do you remember the time that he was at the well in john chapter 4 with the woman the samaritan the samaritan woman and they got into a spiritual discussion and uh, she lands up telling jesus well no i'm not really married and jesus says oh you're right (laughs) because you've been married five times and the guy you're with now is not your husband and she was like "Woo! how'd you know that she said, you've got to be a prophet. There's no way you could know about that, about that about me. Jesus could read the thoughts and read the hearts. He could read the motives of people. There was a time in the temple treasury. I think we should do this here at our church. We should have a treasury dug at the back there. We put a big box for people to put their offerings in. But Jesus did this. He actually went into the temple treasury and he actually kind of pulled himself to the side and he watched what the people were giving. And there was a widow who came and gave two little copper coins, put them in. And he was watching all the other people give, and they were giving out of their abundance and putting money in the, in the box in the temple treasury. And Jesus could see what was really going. He could see he was giving sacrificially. He could see he was giving generously, a real generosity. He could see that when that widow came. He made that observa- an observation about her sacrificial giving. And so he could read the hearts of people. He always could. And I'll tell you something this morning. He can do that the same now. He can read your heart this morning. He knows what's going on in your life and your heart right now. That's prophetic insight. It's prophetic power. Jesus even predicted his death years before it happened. He, he, he told about the way it would happen. He told about the fact that he would rise again. He predicted the upcoming fall of Jerusalem. And that happened exactly as he predicted. So, you know, you could just go on with, with Jesus. There's evidence galore for his prophetic capacity. And nobody else had that. You go do the research. This is in the historical record. So when it comes to prophetic power, Jude, we've got to give him another block. We can't do anything for the other guys. I want to give you one more, and then we're going to wrap it up this morning. I want to talk about death and the power to overcome the grave. Now, over history, there have been thousands and thousands of men and women who have arisen, who've called themselves from time to time prophets, Spiritual gurus, messiah types, deliverers of one kind or another. But there's always one thing that limits things. Death. Would you agree? Confucius died. And as far as I know, he stayed dead. Buddha doesn't matter how enthusiastic he was about the eightfold path and trying to eliminate desire from his life. He died. And he stayed dead. 
And no matter the influence of Muhammad, when he died, he also stayed death, dead, death, dead. And in fact, if you are a Muslim, you, it's an obligation in your lifetime to at least once go to Mecca to his grave, where he's still buried, dead and buried, gone. But you know, Jesus, when he was hanging on that cross, I can just imagine that, crowd, that group of people gathered below, looking up at him, covered in blood and his body torn to pieces, that crown of thorns on his head. I can imagine the thought going through their minds, going, this is it, there's no coming back from this. You know, we, all those plans, all those dreams, those hopes, they, they've just come crushing down. How's he ever going to get out of this? And in fact, he gave up his last breath and they pulled that cross down and they took that body and they wrapped it in grave clothes and they, and they put him in a tomb. And the authorities were so terrified and petrified about his messages and his teachings, they actually rolled a big rock in front of it and put guards there. And then came Resurrection Day. And Jesus walked out of that tomb. And by him doing that, he distinguished himself from every other spiritual leader and in fact, every other human being who's ever lived throughout history. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, more than any other factor, puts Jesus in a class completely of his own. He conquered death. A resurrection is a big deal. And the thing about the resurrection of Jesus, despite so many people trying to dispute it, it's very well documented. And throughout the centuries, multiple exhaustive studies have been done where they've looked at the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. And when you weigh that honestly, the outcome, if you're going to be honest about it, favors the conclusion that Jesus did, in fact, rise from the dead. And several weeks later, he rose. He ascended to be with the Father in a manner that nobody had ever witnessed before, which makes him totally unique in, in all of the world. And so... If I look at these four spiritual leaders over time, I, yeah, that's it. We, we, have to, we have to give him another block. Let's wrap things up. I'm not here this morning to badmouth other faiths. I'm not here this morning to talk badly of spiritual leaders like Confucius or Buddha or Muhammad. There's nothing in my heart that w would make me want to be, uh, to give them less than what they were. They were, they were human beings. They lived a life, they taught a bit, they tried to help people. It's just that with these guys, they did not distinguish themselves in the way that Jesus did. And I don't know about you this morning. But when you think about Jesus, at some point, you've got to go. The evidence shows it. This was a one of a kind individual. He is something more than these other people. And I, for one, believe that he, Jesus is exactly who he said he was, the Son of God, who came to save anyone who chooses to believe in him. And he did exactly what he said that he, he would do, that he would go to the cross, that he would take on the powers of darkness, and that he would take on the collective wrongdoing and every shortcoming and every sin that you and I have ever committed. Confucius, Buddha, Muhammad, they didn't do any of that. They couldn't. But not Jesus. He led a morally perfect life. 
And so he was qualified to take the sins of the world upon himself. And after he died, he said those words, it's finished. I've done what's necessary. Death is defeated. The price is paid. And I want you to know this morning that that same Jesus says to you, I love you. I have an enormous, irrational, ongoing love for you. You are the reason that I came to this earth. And Jesus would say to you this morning that my teachings will help you learn how to navigate this life in a constructive way. That my moral example is an example to you of how you can live at a higher level than you've ever lived in the past. My miracle working power is available to you if you invite me into your life. I'll answer some of those prayers. I'll give you strength that you don't have. I'll give you some of those prophetic insights. And if you choose to believe in me and surrender your life to me one day too, you will have a resurrected life. My hope, my sincere hope, that with everybody who's connected to this particular church community, is that at some point in your life you get seized by this. At some point in your life you come and you say, this has huge implications for me. Because in all of history, Jesus outstrips every other single spiritual leader who's ever lived. And so you have to pay attention to him. He's not a, some prophet. He's not, he's not a myth. He's not some legend. Jesus is God. And all of us are going to stand before him someday. And when we stand before him, we're either going to stand before him as a follower, as a believer, or as someone who has kind of battered him or fended him off throughout the course of our life. And so, folk, when it comes to telling other people about Jesus, or just taking a step to invite them to come and join us at church, can I just say this to you? Don't ever shrink back. Don't ever feel embarrassed or shy. Don't think that Jesus can't stand up to the scrutiny of critics or cynics. Don't. Do your homework. It's not a close race. This is, there's a standout winner. There's someone who's, who is so unique. And that should actually just give us a, a, a greater sense of boldness when it comes to sharing the reality of the message of his love. Because that's what it is. There's so many people today, I know many of them, who once were in church and who are now disconnected from the church. So many people are going, I don't like what I see anymore. And churches have drifted from, I think, where God really wants them to be. And there are many, many other people who are looking at the church and going and poking fun and laughing at it because of the antics of some churches. But yet we still have this mission to reach out in love. And that's all we have to do. Because God, by the power of His Spirit, will do the rest. But what we've got to do is have the courage to go, hey, I just think that maybe you're going, you know, are you going through a hard time? Whatever it might be, and just extend that invitation. Or begin to have a spiritual conversation with the hope of getting to Jesus. There's no, there's no reason for any of us to shirk back, to hold back, to feel that, that it's, it's not going to be worth anything. None whatsoever.